The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord. Some Sadducees, those who deny that there is a resurrection, came forward and put this question to Jesus, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us, If someone's brother dies, leaving a wife but no child, his brother must take the wife and raise up descendants for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first married a woman but died childless. Then the second and the third married her. And likewise, all the seven died childless. Finally, the woman also died. Now, at the resurrection, whose wife will that woman be? For all seven have been married to her. Jesus said to them, The children of this age marry and remarry, but those who are deemed worthy to attain to the coming age and to the resurrection of the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. They can no longer die, for they are like angels, and they are the children of God, because they are the ones who will rise. That the dead will rise, even Moses made known in the passage about the bush, when he called out, Lord, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And he is not God of the dead, but of the living, for to him all are alive. The Gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh oh. Here come the Sadducees. That's certainly what uh, Jesus' disciples must have been feeling and thinking when they saw this gang of Sadducees coming from the temple to, well, to come and uh, poke Jesus a little bit. You know, the Sadducees were a very different breed from the Pharisees. They were used to the Pharisees. Jesus had been contending with them for a long time. But they were sort of just normal, sort of um, country kind of uh, people, and they, 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 they weren't the big shots, really. The big shots were the Sadducees. They were people who were from the upper class. They hung around the temple. They were involved in the temple sacrifices and rituals, and they were, they were hobnobbed with the Roman overlords. They were big shots, really. And so when they come to poke Jesus, to probe Jesus, to find out who Jesus is, you can bet that Jesus' disciples, if not Jesus himself, were saying, uh-oh, here come the Sadducees. The, the Sadducees, to understand what they're going to be up with with Jesus, you've got to understand kind of where they're coming from, theologically or spiritually or religiously. So besides being upper class and being temple-oriented and being all caught up in, in you know, animal sacrifices and the rites of the temple and being cool and all that stuff, they also had a very, very strong belief that the only thing that God has revealed himself through is the Torah, the law, which 
for them meant the first five books of what we call the Old Testament. So there's Genesis, Exodus, Deuteronomy, Leviticus, and Numbers. Got it. <laughs> Thanks for the help. <laughs> so that's where God's revelation was. And so all the other stuff, you know, is kind of nice and pretty and beautiful, but it's not God's revelation. So the prophets and the Psalms and all that other stuff, we don't need that. What we really need what we believe, everything we need to know about God is in those first five books of what we call the Old Testament, the Torah, the law of Moses. And so they said to themselves, after lots of study of that, you know, the Pharisees and a lot of other people believe that there's angels and that there's spirits and that there's souls and that there's life after death. But guess what? We don't find that in the first five books, the Torah, the law, those five important books, the essential ones. So it must not exist. So the Sadducees were marked theologically by this, well, what seems to us kind of extraordinary belief or really non-belief in any kind of life after death. There was nothing there. After you die, you're dead. Poof, you're gone. That was really, really fundamental for them. And that was because they didn't find it in those first five books. So when they're approaching Jesus, they're coming and they're going to check out Jesus and see what he's up to. You know, he's kind of the new guy on the scene. And he's drawing crowds and people are listening to him. So they've got to go and see. They want two things, to, want to see two things. First thing they want to check out is whether he's with them or with the Pharisees. Does he accept the Torah, the first five books, as the only sole scripture, the only way that God reveals himself like we do? And does he reject the idea of life after death, like we do? Is he one of us, or is he one of them? So that's the first thing. The second thing is, if he does believe and profess some sort of life after death, we want to make a fool out of him, because we're right, of course, and they're all wrong. So we're going to play a game with this Jesus, if that's where he's coming from. So they approach Jesus with this question. You know, here come the Sadducees, and they have a question for Jesus. So, Jesus, um, there was um, a woman, and she had a husband, and the husband died. And then, according to the law of Moses, she, this, the brother of the husband marries her, he dies. The other brother marries her, he dies. They go through seven brothers. So, when all is said and done, when they go to heaven, whose wife is she? One, two, three, four, five, six, or seven. Well, Jesus immediately lets them know that he doesn't stand with them on the question of no life after death. And the question then is meant to make Jesus get into one of these kinds of uh, modes where you start discussing stuff that's completely ridiculous. It's kind of like those medieval theologians who talk endlessly about how many angels dance on the head of a pin. In this case, it's like, well, it could be number one because he was the first husband, so maybe she's married to him in heaven. But then again, maybe it's number seven since he was the last one that she married. Maybe he's the one that she's going to be her husband with. Well, it could be the one in the middle. It could be number six. It could be number five. Oh, it could be none of them. It could be all of them. Who knows? You go on and on and on and on and on. And that's what they wanted. They wanted Jesus to play their game and show himself to be a fool to end up discussing these silly little things that mean nothing to people in real life. But Jesus is not a game player, as we discover in the Gospels. 
He doesn't fall for this kind of trick. He doesn't need to be probed and prodded and pushed to do stupid things like that. So Jesus' response to the Sadducees is, is really an important one. So his first response is, okay, you guys, what you're doing is you're taking a human institution, you're taking a social institution, an institution of this world, of this life, marriage, and applying it to the next life, and it doesn't apply. You're, you're talking about something that is ridiculous. So the first thing is, it's ridiculous. The second thing is that Jesus does, is he goes right back to the Torah. He goes back to their source material. He goes back to what's most important to them, to the law of Moses. And he says, but you remember, of course, because this is where you study, this is what is so important to you. You're, you're literalist. You remember exactly what Moses said when he met God in the burning bush, don't you? Uh, well, maybe, sort of. Well, let me tell you, let me refresh your memory. When Moses addresses God in the burning bush, he addresses him as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He doesn't address them as if those people are in the past tense. He addresses them as the God of those people who are alive. Your own texts, your own Moses, your own law reveals exactly where you're wrong. God is the God of the living, not of the dead. And underlying that simple principle that God is the God of the living, not the dead, is Jesus' understanding that God has created these people. He's the one who blew life into them. He's the one that gave them their spirit, gave them their personhood, gave them their very beings, their very self. This is a creation of God, this human being. And it is a creation filled with God's grace and God's spirit and God's life. And God is not going to let that go. It's not like a toy or a doll that a little girl plays with and for a while and then sets aside. Oh, I'm not interested in that one anymore. I'll go over here and play with these toys now. No. These human beings that God has created in His own image, filled with His life, are not abandoned by God in death. God is the God of the living. And what God gives life to lives. And, and that's Fundamental for Jesus, it, of course, is echoed throughout all of the gospel stories. This basic foundational principle of who God is. God is a God of the living. The God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David and Jeremiah and Isaiah. God is the God of the living. And he adds a dawn-gilded exclamation point to that teaching on Easter morning when he himself rises from the dead and shows that God is the God of the living and that the grave, that death, that the tomb cannot undo the gift of life that God has given. And that, of course, is profoundly important going forward through our own history as a Christian people. 
from the very, very beginning, from Jesus himself. We have understood that God indeed is the God of the living. And therefore we have revered those who've gone before us as still members of our Christian family. God is the God not only of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Jeremiah and Isaiah and the prophets of all of them, but God is also the God of Mary and Joseph, of Peter and Andrew and James and John and of Clement and Alexander and all the other saints that are part of our great family in Christ because God is the God of the living, not of the dead. And in this month of November, we especially, especially deeply reflect on that reality and rejoice in it. We begin the month of November with All Saints Day, remembering that all of those holy ones through all the ages who lived wonderful holy lives, whose names we don't even remember, are still part and parcel of our family in Christ, the body of Christ. They live. And, and then the next day, the second day of November, we remember our own dead. Those who've gone before us, our grandmas and our grandpas, our aunts and our uncles, our sisters and our brothers, our mothers and our fathers, whose names we've, we've inscribed in this little book over here. They are the living too. They remain part of our family in Christ. They gather with us around this table of the great feast of the kingdom of God. We remember them not just in our sort of affective memory, or we remember their faces and we remember their voices and we remember their touch. But in that remembering and even more in God's remembering of them, in God's love for them, in God's embracing of them, they live. They live because God, as Jesus teaches us this morning yet again, is a God of the living not of the dead. And that gives us great hope and great joy and a great sense of where we too are going as members of this great family of the living in God. That just as God poured his life, his self, his breath, his spirit, his grace into all of those who've gone before us, so he pours that into us. And we too are the living here and now. And we too beyond the grave will be the living with all of our ancestors in faith going all the way back to Abraham, and Isaac and Jacob. Because, as Jesus tells us, our God is a God of the living, not of the dead. To the Sadducees and to his disciples and to all of us all these centuries later. Jesus makes it very, very clear with his words and with his life and with his Easter morning gift of himself that our God is the God of the living. Full stop. Don gilded exclamation point at the end of that sentence.